welcome back to Left On Set podcast, where I or whoever else would be preaching potentially are going to go through the extra notes and commentaries and thoughts and rabbit trails that didn't get said on Sunday morning. Um, name is Brandon Ziski, senior pastor at Austin Oaks Church. We are in a series called More Than Enough, and our heart in this series is to really be asking the question: like, what is a primary marker or attribute of a church? that is experiencing the move of God in their midst. And I know a lot of times like we can start saying, it's like, you know, it's prayer, which is true. A love for God's word, which is true. Um, service, which is true. Um, all those types of things. But one aspect that is oftentimes neglected or not really looked at too much is that generosity is a primary hallmark before, during, and after a move of God, or what we would call today like a revival, which is simply, as I can't remember who said it, but I love the definition of revival. It's just a return to normal Christianity. If you look at the history of the church movement, um, even in Acts, you see it. it. In fact, you see it throughout the whole New Testament. And in church history, when there were moves of God, generosity is one of the primary markers that we see. And so when we start to think about that, we start thinking about why is generosity a hallmark in the move of God is because it reflects the gospel. There, It is giving and generous giving is like one of the purest expressions of love. And generosity reflects the heart of God. I mean, the most infamous verse, like, like infamous is kind of a weird word to say, it kind of makes it sound like ominous and bad, but a, a very popular verse. In fact, um, I was watching Monday Night Football last night with my son, and um, when the Lions were kicking a field goal, the, someone was holding up the John 316 sign. You don't see that too often in sports anymore, but someone was doing it, and my son was like, what, what is that? And so I shared with him, right? So it's the, that verse, for God so loved the world. Okay, so for God so loved, because he loved, he gave his son. And, and that is a extreme act of generosity. It was voluntary. It wasn't forced. It wasn't out of compulsion. It wasn't out of regret. Oh, I have to look at all these sinners down there. It was because he wanted to, because he loved. And so when a church experiences the grace of, of God. That is the thing. When the church experiences the grace of God, generosity is a natural reality. It's a natural act that comes from the heart of one who just experienced the love of God. So that's why. That's why generosity is a beautiful hallmark. And generosity regarding like the new creation or the kingdom of God concepts of generosity is vastly different than generosity just in the secular mindset. Because it's like we just, generosity for the believer isn't just your finances. It, it truly is like Romans 12, one through two. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That ought to be done willingly voluntarily, which is an act of worship, which is generosity for the sake of others, for the sake of God to reflect himself in and through you to others. So this is why it's an important piece because it's oftentimes um, a taboo topic to talk about in the church world, because especially in, in the West, because we have really privatized our finances. Um, there's There's a lot of shame connected to our finances. We really don't want people to know 
I mean, come on now. We really don't want people to know the type of debt that we're in. We we oftentimes don't want people to know how much we make. Um, we are um, born and bred in a consumer materialistic world. Um, we are challenged to excel in so many things, kind of like what we talked about last Sunday, that we just get this notion of like, I got to have. And so what I have is what I earned or um, maybe you feel a little bit like me, like I grew up with not much. And so now that I have, I don't want to like lose it, you know, like it's so all these types of things, but like, I believe with, without a shadow of doubt that one of the strategies of, of Satan in the church is to, um, make the church feel rather bitter or resentful or annoyed whenever money and giving is talked about, um, just because of what we talked about prior, that if we can detach giving, if we can detach generosity um, to living after following Jesus, he 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 has a significant advantage at some levels because as we saw two weeks ago, that it's not about the dollar amount. It's not about the quantity of dollars you give and all that kind of stuff. It's It's all about the heart. Just look at Malachi 3. Okay, the the passage that can be oftentimes misused, but the whole platform of that passage is return to me and I'll return to you. And then he goes on to say, it's like, because Israel starts to challenge, well, how shall we return? Well, you're robbing God. Well, how are you robbing God? He says the tithe. Is it really the tithe that they're robbing God of or what's attached to the tithe? You see, we we think it's always the tithe. Like, oh, okay, then fine. I'll just give my ten percent. It's like, no, you can still give. Like, like church. Listen, you can still give financially, and not give your heart. That's not what God wants. He wants your heart, and what He knows more than us, He knows way better than us. Is that money, finances, materials, all the things that encompass like the needs and wants and desires of our, our lives rep represented through like finances is the top competitor for our hearts. And so if, if he has our hearts, he'll have our generosity. So that's a really long recap. Um, and so one of the things in this podcast, just as a reminder, this is raw, it's unvarnished, not going to do any editing. So if I say something goofy, um, well, it's just going to be there for all eternity in the interwebs for all people to hear, all that kind of good stuff. So I'm just going to walk through a ton of my notes and, and want to kind of like like unpack other pieces that I wasn't able to quite get to um, this past Sunday. Um, and it, there's going to be no like real logical flow to it. I'm just going to be jumping around and just kind of hitting some things, okay? So if there's a moment of silence, it's because I am sipping some coffee just like this. Gotta have coffee or else I cannot wake up. So this past Sunday, we talked um, at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and it was a lot of material. It was a lot of material that was in there. And it, this is why I do this. The, this podcast is because I, I'm a teacher at heart, and I think like every verse what we all do, but like we or we all should, like I think every verse needs to have its like 
time to unpack in order to understand the context and the flow and what Paul or whoever was writing it, ultimately the Holy Spirit, is trying to communicate. And so if we just like fly through so much of these things, which can easily happen on a Sunday morning because you got 40 to 50 minutes to unpack something and you want to give one thought. But like when you read chapters eight and nine, you're like, man, there is so much that's here. Okay. And so I want to start again by just painting the context. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. Now, specifically, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is Paul's um, letter in, in some aspect. The first six or seven chapters is really Paul kind of like defending himself, um, not out of a posture of insecurity. He, he, it's There were false teachers that came into the church of Corinth after Paul left. And, you know, it's like they got this moniker, like called the super apostles, you know, and they were great orators and they could be very charismatic. They could keep crowds attention, all that kind of stuff. And they actually also like um, asked for money services for their teaching and their speaking and things like that. And they kind of appeared to be polished and all put together. And they started to essentially accuse Paul of being a false apostle because a, he suffers. And so leadership and suffering, something obviously isn't going right. God's not with him if he's suffering like this. Like, so they they looked at him and Paul was pretty open and transparent about his weaknesses, which was another knock on him. And he and the one that was really obvious was he's not a great orator, you know, and and there was a challenge, you know, some say I follow Peter, some say I follow Apollos and you know, you could probably unpack. There's probably other people that weren't named in that letter. And I'm, my guess is Paul didn't think it was worthy or worth any time to mention the names of the false apostles because Apollos and Peter loved Jesus. Um, so they were just knocking him on all these things. And there was this other weird piece that they started to accuse him on. It was potentially swindling money uh, because he wasn't technically asking for money. Right. So like, like that's a real fascinating thing that was there. And so like, because in that time, in that day, like, man, I, I okay. I'm just thinking out loud cause I don't want to like open up a different can, but it's like still to this day. And even then they immediately considered the favor of God being on someone if they were rich. And, and I think that happens a lot of times, even in our church world today, like, um, I've been in the church culture for many, many years, and I've been on church boards. I know a lot of other pastors on different church boards and all these kind of things. And a, a default setting, like from a congregation, when they start thinking about like who um, could be or should be an elder. Now, listen, I'm not saying this. This is applied everywhere, but this is oftentimes an unspoken barometer of spiritual maturity is were they are they successful do they are they successful in business or in their job are they wealthy and so somehow we make still to this day these connections that if they are therefore they should be an elder or a deacon or a board member or etc that's not always the right barometer okay so paul was being accused of being a false apostle because he wasn't asking for payment for his services. So then they assumed he was stealing money. So that led the church in Corinth to no longer trust Paul. 
And so they started a year prior, Second Corinthians, to want to give this offering to the church in Jerusalem. And they wanted to. They were excited. They were passionate about it. And then when Paul left, this thing happened, and then they haven't done it. So Paul writes Second Corinthians as a means to defend himself, not again, listen, not out of insecurity, but just in the means of like trying to like not allow the enemy to ruin his credibility, as it were, for other people who might need to hear the message of Jesus through the apostle Paul. And he also wanted to expose who they are and also expose like why they're not true apostles. And so he walks it through and it's just like this flip of the kingdom of God and the concept of leadership and all that kind of stuff, which is just really beautiful. Encourage you study second Corinthians one through seven. One of these days, I so badly want to write a book on second Corinthians. It is my absolute favorite letter in the new Testament. Now, Saying all of that, what's important, what I want to talk about is, um, I'm just scrolling in, in and through my notes, okay? So if we look at 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 9, and what we see in chapter 9 is, again, Paul talking about um, asking for money or not asking for money, um, what's his right as an apostle, all these types of things. And and he starts to unpack this a little bit that I think it's important, okay? It's because one of the things that I know I've heard and I know that can be in the minds of some people, like especially when pastors start to preach or teach from the pul- um, platform out of the pulpit, you know, like, hey, you should give to the church. There's, there is a temptation to start thinking that's self-serving, you know, and well, they're just wanting you to do that so that maybe they could get paid more, et cetera, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, no, like, let me just like, kind of like paint this picture for you. Um, it, again, I'm just going to kind of play a little bit of a Paul card here and just be a little vulnerable. I don't control my pay. Like I, I don't. It's the elders who are voted and prayed through and put through a process through our church that determine that so they hold me accountable um into that area and and pastors being paid is is a biblical precedent it is so if it's that then that means it's god's design it's god's strategy and so there's going to be two things i want to talk about in this podcast that is i'm telling you it it can make a preacher skin crawl a little bit because it it feels self-serving but it's not self-serving because it's out of God's word and we're just trying to faithfully teach God's word as it as it's written and it's like rawness but sometimes like when you preach these things it can sound very much self-serving so there has to be integrity and honesty and checks and balances that go into this so nonetheless let me get into this first Corinthians 9 verse 6 through 14 okay first Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 through 14. Or do only Barnabas and I, I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? So he's just talking about like normal economy of how things work, right? If you do this, you get paid. 
you know, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense. No, he doesn't. The government or the power at be the power that be pays for the soldier to serve as a soldier who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat the fruit of it, right? Like who doesn't it partake part like partake in the work, okay? And then all of a sudden he goes, okay, listen, now that's just human economy. But listen, I'm not just speaking this just from the ways of humanity. Like, let's, what does the law say? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Right. So it's kind of like a little bit of this, like, you know, some of the false teachers or even the sophists, the philosophers that were around, because that was a very common practice back then. And he, he, th there was a little bit of like, man, like, why, Paul, aren't you? Or, Paul, like, like, why, why are you, you know, like, other question is pretty valid. And he's just like, listen, this, this is all right. Right. And, and, if you go back to the Old Testament, like even the Levites, like they were to, their inheritance was in, in essence, the sacrifices and the offerings that the people would bring. That's how their livelihood was. It was completely dependent upon the Lord. Now, we do know that Levites took advantage of that and abused that multiple times on end, and God his name would not be blasphemed. And so he did exact judgment on those those Levites who would do that. So it it is part of it. In fact, you could even make the argument that in the Old Testament, how well the Levites were living was a sign of God having the heart of Israel in a lot of ways. Are they giving their best? Are they, excuse me, are they like actually doing the offerings and the sacrifices that are there? Okay. Back to the verse. If we sow spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this right. Paul's like, we're, we are choosing not to do this, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have the share from the altar. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Two things. Paul is saying, yes, I'm just going to use present day language here. Pastors ought to get their livelihood from the church. Okay, Those who proclaim the gospel get their living from the gospel. Right, so the church, the tithes and offerings, yes, part of the budget is to support the pastoral's um, well-being, the the their salaries and their expenses. Like that is a biblical precedent that there. But Paul is saying we are choosing we, me, myself. I am choosing not to in this moment. I'm choosing to be a tent maker in this moment because. I don't want it to be a hindrance to you because this issue is a struggle for you, right? Like not because they don't have the means, because they they still aren't quite figuring out and all the other 
temptation and stuff that's floating around being told them. So he's like, no, listen, we don't want to be a hindrance to the gospel. There were other parts in Paul's life where he took on offerings for himself. Like you just go to Philippians, it's very much present in there. Coffee break. So we see in the New Testament, a continuation of the Old Testament that talks about how pastoral staff ought to be financially provided for through the church. Now, there's a there's another verse that is, um, this is the one. This this is one of the verses that is like, a, as a preacher, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about this, but let me talk about it. First Timothy 5.17. To Timothy, he wrote, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. The elders in this context is essentially the shepherds, the overseers, the pastors, not what we typically think of, of an elder board. So this would be like the pastoral staff. Okay. And in this is like if you just want to go, oh, who's a good example of this in the in the New Testament? It's like, for instance, where Peter would say in Acts when they came about the distribution of bread to the the Gentile widows and um, or the Hellenistic Jews and and Peter says like that's not our job we need to give ourselves to the word and prayer right so that is one of these like quote unquote you could go this is one of those people an apostle okay so elders now we're talking about like those who are pastoring churches, specifically Timothy, he's in Ephesus at this point, and he's, you know, he's saying to him, it's like, let the elders or the pastors, they're to be considered worthy of double honor. That word honor is essentially pay, double pay. Like they should be paid well. Like it, it just, listen to me, please. This is not me, my opinion. Go ahead, unpack that verse and you're going to see those words there and then he hits that comma especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching which makes sense because also in the new testament um i can't remember exactly where it is off the top of my head i can't remember if it was paul or peter but like those sh you shouldn't summary okay summarizing like not many of you should presume to be teachers, you know, it's like that warning, you know, they're going to be judged doubly as hard just because it's like, there has to be a sense of integrity and, um, like humility in preaching the, the unvarnished word of God as it is without polishing, without like shrinking back from certain things. And so, yeah, like there is that spot. So the, the scriptures is like honor them. So full circle. Okay, full circle. The reason why I did that is because I, I think it's fair to say that the collection for the church in Jerusalem wasn't just like for the poor as we think of the poor. Like I, I love um, how some of the commentators were were not just like just assuming that it was like the marginalized per se, that they made a connection to the early church growth the exponential growth where it's like at some point by like x4 you have five thousand people um, probably more who are part of the church and christianity the message of christianity wasn't really spread out at that point and so people more than likely stayed in jerusalem for quite some time and that wasn't a boom town as it were economically um roman oppression and oppressive tax system um you know, like the the apostles weren't like super wealthy, 
you know, maybe maybe Levi could make a case there. Uh, but it's, it's not like they had like this residual income constantly coming in. So I think like this, the poor in Jerusalem is like just collectively, I would say that the church and also the burden and passion on their hearts to probably even want to serve the poor. So it's like a full all encompassed picture and they were running out of resource and, it, and certain people like Paul knew that. So they wanted to invite other churches who were blessed by the gospel um, and moved by the grace of God, who put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus to give cheerfully to the church in Jerusalem. And so that was happening there. And so why I want to make this case is I do believe I, this is my opinion. Okay. Just my opinion based on study of commentators, the context, and probably just a natural flow of how things worked and also understanding how church works that I'm, I, has to be that the church leaders, the apostles and elders also needed financial provision. So like, I think it's all part and parcel to that whole thing. And, and you saw like the church giving a valiant effort to, to trying to meet the needs in Acts 2 and Acts 4, people selling possessions and making sure that everybody has what everybody needs. There wasn't anybody trying to extort to, to, or to try to climb a ladder in there. Like, let me get more, let me get more. It, it was like, no, we love Jesus. Look at what he's doing. This is great. Here we go. Let's, let's all have one in common. So there was a beautiful movement that was happening there. So I wanted to to share that because I think it's important for us to understand like church and like in why we give to the church. It's so I, I've I've said that the last two weeks and I haven't been fully able to like extract like all of that and why that's important. And, and it's like it's so mind boggling to me. Um, it, it's so mind boggling to me is like now as a parent with three kids and you got three kids in three different activities, um, and, and you just go, man, we, we really do want them to excel. We want them to pursue passions and dreams. And as parents, we've got to be careful that we're not, um, <laughs> projecting our lost dreams onto our kids or like our own identity worth and value on our kids performance that that is that is just icky icky but it's it's present um and and we invest so much time oh my goodness and so much money into that and then i start thinking about all the other things that we like put our money into and all those kind of things and we do it sometimes cheerfully and other times reluctantly but we do it and when it comes to the church, it seems like it's just this afterthought, you know, like giving to the church, it's just this afterthought. So it's like, even when we start to say, you know, hey, we know the New Testament doesn't like command a tithe, you know, but there's a precedent of the tithe. It's it's in scripture. There's practice that even like predates the law, even in the ancient Near East, you know, that that still doesn't give us the validity to say, nope, the tithe is a commandment. No, we're under grace. Grace goes beyond because that is just the heart and nature of grace. But a lot of times we want to just give like a guideline 
right? Because like parameters or structures around what we love or like want to excel in are important because otherwise you can't excel in something without some sort of structure or some parameter or some sort of planning. And so that's why we give as advice, the tithe, 10% of your income is a good starting place. And, and, and we then suggest that should go to the church because the church is Jesus's body. The church is his design. It's his idea. Okay. And, and it's through the church where the Holy Spirit has given gifts to his people, spiritual gifts to his people for the manifestation of his presence to edify, to encourage, to, to convict people of sin, to show love, to serve, all these types of things. The church is to be the vehicle to push people into the kingdom and to take the kingdom and push back against the darkness. Like if we want to see like our culture change, like we need to invest in a church. Now, this is where I want to go. It's not just financially. Like, even though that is like one of the key missing components, because statistics are very clear, so clear, like people, I, I, I'm, you know, you, you know what they say, like 57% of all statistics are made up, but it, I'm telling you, I'm going to say it's like under 4%, 3% is what people tend to give if they do give to the church of their income. You know, and it's just like, man, but we give so much more to so many things. And the reason why, like, we, we don't give to the church is because we want to get what we want to get first. We want to get ourselves secure first, but we are missing out on the blessings that God extends to us. Oh, man. And that becomes now a crisis of trust, right? Do I trust him or not trust him? I just went on a rabbit trail right there. But nonetheless, so... That's why I look at that and I'm like, yes, that 10% needs to go to the church because people will often say, you know, it's like, well, we just need to give to the poor. And a lot of times, not all, okay, listen, generalities, I get it, not all, but a lot of times when people say like, yeah, yeah, and you know, we need to give to the poor, it's like, I always want to ask them like, well, how are you doing that? You know, and, and a lot of times what they say is, well, we're given to another nonprofit, and you're like, okay, good. We do that too, you know? And it's just like, like we're in that spot, but it's also to, to take the dollars, invest into our vehicle um, called the church facilities to do that, to create the programs because we still have people coming in. And it's also like, and we're trying to encourage and to do discipleship and to motivate people to live out in the kingdom. It's, you know, God gave to the church apostles, evangelists, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we see a bit of a strategic play within a structure. And all those things are part and parcel to it. And so that's where I was like, when I say like we give to the church, it's not like because we want to pad pad our pockets with more money or like extend our church brand. Like, no, 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 unequivocally, no. And just because people have done that, that doesn't mean every church is doing that. Like, not at all, not at all. I can, but it has happened. Okay. And so it, that that's important. I, I just, I just want to say that. So, um, there you have it. There are some things there. And so 
we look at, if you go through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, I told you, this is raw, it's unvarnished, no logical flow, just extra nuggets for study. Pause, listen, come back, disagree, push back, whatever, you go for it. Um, but I wanted to now just kind of quickly look through this introduction, okay? We want you to know, brothers and sisters, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and 2 and 3, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And not just as we had hoped Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. This, like I shared enough about the context of Macedonia, the churches in Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. This is a really beautiful and challenging <laughs> like insight that Paul gives us. And he's using these churches to motivate or to persuade or to stir up desire again in the church of Corinth. And it really should do it for us because this is what generosity looks like in the kingdom of God. Here's a church, churches in Macedonia that are under military oppression. They are extremely oppressed through the Roman tax system and having to pay tribute. They took their jobs, their um, natural land resource from them. Uh, there's physical abuse, all the things that is comprised of Rome. Okay. So it's not just that, then that makes them extremely poor, which means to like the depth, they're like so poor where they don't even know what's coming next. Like that is poor. And in what we see is like they did not at all for a moment look at their circumstance and choose to not be generous. Not at all. Because God's grace does not change based upon circumstance. If I have a lot or if I have a little, I'm going to be generous. You know, in fact, excuse me, like the one of the most famous verses that is oftentimes hold out of context. If you go to Philippians chapter four, verse 13, now make this connection. The churches of Macedonia, one of those churches was the church in Philippi. Paul wrote this, this letter, Philippians to the church of Philippi. And he says, talking about like how he's been um, elevated to riches. He knows plenty and he knows want. And he says, I know the secret of being content in all things. In Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is not just a rah-rah verse to get your personal record on a squat or a bench press. Like That's just me. I remember athletes always using that verse to do that. Or just a, like a rah-rah verse to make us like motivated to do something this is in a context of money like i can do all things what's all things i can have a lot i know how to be content with riches 
which means like he's not allowing the wealth or the deceits of riches, the deceit of riches to corrupt his heart. I can do all things, riches and little. How? Well, through Christ, his grace anchored in him. So here's this, these churches under great oppression, extreme poverty, and like I immediately think of Second Corinthians chapter four when I think about these tribulations, and I go like the treasure and jar of clays. I love it because he goes Paul in chapter four of Second Corinthians. Now we have this treasure in clay jar, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may be displayed in our body. It's just this beautiful picture because this this phrasing that Paul gives in chapter eight is the severe trial is crushing. And that's where I was like, man, the treasure is not the circumstance. Friends, listen, the treasure in your life has nothing to do, nothing to do with external wealth. You're your heirlooms, your cars, your trust funds, your whatever, none of that. Like that's not your treasure. The treasure is what's within. And that treasure within cannot be touched by anything external. Nothing. We're a jar of clay. We can be crushed. We can be perplexed. We can be in despair, but never abandoned, never destroyed. Because of Jesus, if we keep our eyes and hearts given to him, Oh my goodness, we experience the riches of heaven. Like that's where like Paul makes that connection. Like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's going to supply all of my needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. This is so profound, church. We have to understand that if we do not open our hearts before the grace of God and the Holy Spirit when it comes to generosity, we are missing out so much. We are missing out so much. And so like the church of Macedonia is a significant challenge in a lot of ways because we withhold our giving because of circumstance. I don't have it yet. I'm struggling here yet. I look at our economy. I'm a little bit nervous. Or we look at current events and we, we start to hesitate. We look at all these things and then we say, I'll do it later. But, but like intentions are, are dangerous things. They're great to motivate, but intentions without the action is just we're lying to ourselves. That's, that's all that is. And so we have to be very, very careful within that. And so we have to ask ourselves very clearly, like, how much do I allow my external circumstance to dictate my generosity? And then we have to ask a second question within that. Is my present circumstance out of my control? Meaning it's just like, economic factors that's happening in our world or social events, what have you, or maybe the job you're working at is like doing layoffs and you have no control or say over any of that, or is your circumstance something you are reaping by what you've sown? Like you're in too much debt because you wanted something that you couldn't afford, but you really, really wanted. Okay. Like I'm going to let that sit. You, you can chew on that. And so in these churches, their generosity was rooted in their experience of grace, which was the treasure deep inside. And then goes this abundant joy and extreme poverty, abundant 
joy, extreme poverty. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse six. I love it. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, which is one of the churches in Macedonia. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Abundance of joy because of the grace of God, experiencing the generosity of God. They wanted to be generous. They begged Paul. Paul wasn't going to because he knew their circumstance. They begged Paul, please, Paul, let us join in. We want to give to the church. Come on, let us do this. Let, we don't want to miss out on this opportunity. We, we want to worship this way. Give us this opportunity. Like This is a privilege. Don't withhold this privilege from us. Ooh, man, that's so, so good. And then as Paul continues this, this is another part where I wanted to unpack this more because I didn't do it on Sunday because it is quite um, lengthy and extensive, but it is important to understand, okay? So he goes, You first, they first gave themselves to the Lord, which we talked at length on, which is crucial. In fact, we did um, after the sermon podcast, yesterday with the Hagans and um, Becca Tenhaken, our um, director of past um, worship and creative arts asked, like, what is it that we are hoping for our church in regards to these messages? And my, my statement was not so much that our budget increases. Like my hope is that the, our church goes to be simply about Jesus, to give themselves first to Jesus because everything else flows from that. Cheerful giving, hilarious giving, um, longing to give, giving not according, not just according to your needs, but even willing to give beyond your means. Like, yes, that's it. And then the second part, this, the second part, church, again, like I said, this is one of those verses that makes a preacher's skin crawl because it feels really self-serving, but it's in the Bible and it's important. Okay. So they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us by the will of God. In other words, they submitted to the pastors. They submitted to the leadership. In Acts, same thing. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and the leadership decided how to distribute that money. They didn't vote on line items in the budget. They didn't vote with their money saying, well, I'm not going to give because the leaders aren't doing this or that, or I'm not going to give because I don't agree with this or that. I'm going to say that's sin, okay? Especially if there is no um, proof of malicious intent from the leadership. If you're withholding giving based upon an assumption or in a disagreement with leadership, and if it's not going against scripture, if it's not promoting heresy, and if, if if it's not like, you know, self-serving and padding pockets, like your withholding is not withholding from the leadership. You are withholding from God, which is a clear indication, as we saw in Malachi 3, if you're withholding from God financially, you're more than likely withholding your heart. And I will say it again, if you have a problem with giving to a church because of leadership, please check your heart first. And if that is unreconcilable, go to the leadership, talk with them, share the concerns, pray together. And if that still can't be there, 
please, please, please find a church where you can submit to the leadership because the kingdom of God is so much more important than any kind of petty disagreements within the church. In fact, it is a blight on the church that people within a church can't reconcile with each other in the church. And issues with money are oftentimes the unspoken conflicts because nobody really wants to talk about it that much. Anyhow, all right, go back to this. They gave themselves to the Lord and then they gave themselves to the apostle Paul, Titus, and Timothy, okay? Specific pastors. Paul was an apostle, Titus and Timothy, elder, pastor, whatever we want to call them. And so what we saw is the Macedonians, their devotion to the Lord, their love for the Lord out of the overflow of the love of Christ to them leads them naturally. That's the key. I want to say that. Coffee break. Leads them naturally to submit to the leadership of their pastors and elders. It is the will of God. <laughs> like, notice that. Okay, like that, that's an important little nugget right there. They gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Like, it's this is the will of God that the church, that believers, followers of Jesus, obey those over them that the Lord has placed in leadership or in authority. That, like, that's God's design. And and, and there's a lot of checks and balances. Now I'm going to speak specifically for Austin Oaks Church. So for instance, I didn't finagle my way into the office of being a senior pastor, right? So I was um, sought after and we went through a prayer process and we weren't necessarily looking to like climb the ladder. I was already a senior pastor of a different church and we went through a process of prayer and fasting and discernment and guidance and counsel on our side as a family. And Austin Oaks Church did the same. There was a pulpit committee that was a mixture of elders and lay people, congregants in the church. And then there was a consultant group that spoke into that. And then, you know, being brought down, I met with the elders and then I interacted with the congregation. And so all of that together, the church discerned and my family discerned that this is God's will. So if it's God's will, that that then should go, well, if it's God's will, then we need to submit to the leadership. And even if I disagree with the leadership, and then like if 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 not, and then maybe I'm I'm not understanding something, or if I have an issue, well, let's do what the Bible says and and pursue love by means of clarity and conversation and reconciliation and forgiveness. Because otherwise, if we go unreconciled and we continue to worship with issues within the church without reconciliation, especially between congregate and church leaders, that is a stain on the church. And in fact, there's many issues, times where Paul would even say in Corinthians, like, man, like the way your guys are behaving, specifically like bringing people in front of a court and a judge and all this kind of stuff. It's like, how does the world see this? Is this a good, good witness of Jesus? Like, 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 did, did Jesus agree with everything we did? No, he, he came, gave his life. Like while we were enemies, he died for us. So it's like, he made a way and he didn't even have to do this. He, 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 he didn't owe us anything. Goodness gracious. He did that by means to open a way for reconciliation. And we are to follow in kind. So if there's no obvious sin or moral issue within the leadership, 
like disagreements of decisions or distaste of this or that or preference or this and that like you really need to do some hard work there and if it's kind of unreconciled i want to encourage you work it through work it through we're brothers and sisters in christ we're not a corporation we're not in the c-suite we're brothers and sisters in christ where the lord has given us gifts and different positions of authority but we're still brothers and sisters and the church isn't mine. It isn't the staffs. It isn't the elder boards. The church is Jesus's. And, and we ought to trust the Holy spirit enough that if there's sin happening in the darkness, he will pull it out into the light. And so Austin Oaks church, we've created tons of checks and balances. We have this thing called policy governance, where I have to give numerous reports on um, executive limitations, parameters, um, legalities, how we treat people, how we're handling finances. Um, I even go to the extreme personally for me, based out of this passage, actually, where if someone in the church wants to hand me a check specifically for the offering, I will not touch it. If someone's trying to give money, I will not handle it myself. There may have been one or two exceptions to that where like in passing it gave to me, but I immediately drop it in the box or I give it to someone else. But like I I will not, I will not, as far as I am able, take any money handed to me that's for the church. I just won't do it because I don't want that temptation. I don't want um any kind of like potential for someone to create a false narrative, all that kind of stuff. That's there. So our Elders, they see the budget all the time. When we submit the budget, they go through it and the church votes on the budget. And again, like the church doesn't need to know every single line item because the, ha the church doesn't know everything that goes in on an operational um, process day in and day out. So that doesn't make sense. And plus, oftentimes, why do they need to know that? Like, really, why do they need to know that? It, it, it's there's there could be a sense of distrust there you know and so nonetheless i'm kind of going off track so letting you know long long and short of it for those of you who are part of austin oaks church like we 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 take extra measures to be transparent and and to be above board when it comes to our finances so that we stand before the lord and can say we were faithful stewards with what you gave us not stand before the church per se, but we really, 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 really feel the burden of having to stand before the Lord as good stewards of what the Lord has given his church for the sake of the gospel. So that's important. And that includes paying pastors, 100%, 100%, excuse me. So I want to go to um, just uh, to share a little bit of this, why is it God's will that followers of Jesus obey those in authority, in leadership. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Okay. This is, this is the verse that uh, I'm going to say makes preacher skin crawl because it can feel um, self-serving or people would be like, oh, wow, look at this guy. He's trying to, you know, backhand or manipulate the church and blah, 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 blah. Or even maybe you got maybe thinking like, is Brandon saying this because there's church strife going on right now and he's trying to give a passive aggressive message to someone? No, no, I'm not. I'm just speaking Bible. Okay. So Hebrews 13, 17, here's what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. <laughs> okay. See, that's why it's really, you don't want to preach that. Like, even though we should, 
it, and hopefully people are mature enough to understand what you're trying to say and all that kind of stuff. But like, you get why sometimes it could be weird. This was actually in my notes on Sunday and I chose to skip it because I was feeling a little goofy at that moment. And plus it just led to a whole slew of things that I thought would have been distracting on Sunday. And so I was like, you know what? Thank the Lord for this podcast. Anyway, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Okay. Now listen, you, you don't need to be the ones to hold them accountable. You have a role in it as a church, but like, like that, that's important. Those who will give an account. God does not take a leadership abuse in his church lightly. Man, just read Ezekiel and some of the challenges of the shepherds of Israel and or Amos. Like, whew, man, no. Like, there will be a time. What's done in the dark will be brought into the light. Obey your leaders and submit to them. That, that in other words, is that's God's will. This is God's word. Why? They keep watch over your souls. Comma parentheses ziski in in input here are they perfect no no have you ever had a perfect work week where everything was like going great at all levels like your family life was amazing your health was amazing and the sun is always shining and everything is going great you are not tired you are the most vibrant and awake you've ever been in your life and you go to work and you know what I'm saying it's like no pastors in in <laughs> those who work in ministry that you know we're we're human just we're human and so sometimes we come into work and there's relational strain maybe there's family strain or maybe there's financial strain and and so why I'm saying that is because we can make mistakes on occasions just like everybody else but because we live in a discipleship culture we hold each other accountable. We encourage, we edify, we build up, we exhort. Elders do that with me. I meet with the elders formally twice a month, and I meet with um, at least one elder once a month. I have a accountability partner who was a former elder. I have a friend mentor, um, not a mentor, a, a friend um, spiritual brother who we talk about our hearts and we process everything and we go through it because we understand we have to give an account and we want to be the best pastor we can. We want to be the best husband that we can, the best friends that we can. So we do this. So here, why? <laughs> like, I love this and I can resonate with this is very true. And so truth is truth. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. <laughs> obey your leaders submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you so this is god's design and i love that paul says this the church in macedonia gave themselves first to the lord key that is primary that's always a first fruit principle not just financially but your own heart and your own life first to the lord and then to us, and then to the leadership, which is another way of also saying to 